Be a person who's willing to be nimble and willing to pivot. Sometimes routine gets in the way of our ability to recognize even our own brilliance and our own greatness. One of the best things that ever happened to me is the, in my life is the things that disrupted my life that I did not plan. It's time once again to learn from the past and explore the future. Welcome to the Leadership Frontiers podcast with your hosts, Tara O'Brien and myself, Ron Duran Jr., In compelling discussions, we'll dig deep into leadership topics within business, education, nonprofits, the public sector, social justice, and wherever we may find it. This is brought to you by the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for Leadership. Thank you for joining us. Born and raised in Colorado, Charles Guilford III is a leader of social change and innovation. He is a thought-provoking social advocate in the Denver metro area who is not afraid to roll up his sleeves and do the work to make our community a better place for everyone. He earned his BS in management, human resources, and international business from CU Boulder's Leeds School of Business, where he also served over 33,000 students as the youngest student body president in university's history. After university, Guilford spent several years leading and serving at Fortune 30 media giant Comcast in its corporate talent and human resources division. These days, Guilford spends most of his time in a senior role working for the city and county of Denver, managing several different projects, some of which we'll talk about today. In today's podcast, we are going to talk about how to stand out above others when applying for your next job, the importance behind authentic relationship building, and the future of tech and innovation. Okay, welcome back to another episode. Today, uh, we are going to dive in, of course, on a couple of different leadership topics. But first off, let's just get a little bit of background from Charles about uh, his affiliation with CU. I know you're a CU grad. And uh, yes, right. <laughs> and uh, and definitely talk to us a little bit about what you're doing on campus and especially around Center for Leadership. No, absolutely. Well, first of all, it is an absolute privilege to be with such amazing people. Uh, Really looking forward to today's conversation. As mentioned, I am a CU grad and a diehard CU. But for those of you who went to the other university, you're welcome to continue to listen, although we will not hold that against you. Uh, But to that end, um, uh, I've been able to serve in in a couple of ways, you know, since, uh, you know, being at the university, uh, serve on the CU Black Alumni Association. So shout out to the Black Student Alliance, some African Student Association that's on campus. Um, was a former student body president at CU, um, so still stay connected to the uh, CU student government and try to advise, you know, different leaders uh, who, who reach out. But I um, think I'm very excited about and shout out to uh, Aaron Roof and, and so many other incredible leaders and the chancellor, uh, Phil DeStefano, um, who incidentally was uh, vice chancellor when I was at university. So ex- excited to see his continual growth in the university system, uh, but get to serve on the board uh, for the CU Leadership Institute. And um, it, it was really inspiring. Uh, just to hear Aaron's vision and and, and Aaron and, and the university at large um, collectively around how do we really shape and develop uh, what leadership looks like in this new iteration of society with automation and a myriad of other things that are beginning to enter the market and how that 
uh, impacts education. How do we ensure that we are still creating a culture of innovation, that we're not just, you know, uh, graduating folks who can do a job, but people who can innovate the workforce, people who can innovate society, and people who can really discover the great purpose that would lie within them that they can contribute to the world. Um, and so it's really exciting to be a part of these efforts. What do you think our biggest challenges are there then, uh, especially having been a CU grad, like how have things changed and what do you think we're up against to create that innovation within leadership? That is a great question. I, I would say um, I finished school uh, around the same time that, uh, you know, the market crash took place. So in a similar place, completely nine day different because this is a completely different phase. Uh, but I know what it's like to, to move into a, a workforce and a space where Jobs are hard to come by. Your experience may or may not be pertinent for what people are looking for. There's so much social change. And again, not paralleling the two, but I can understand how some of our students are, are, are feeling, you know, navigating this space. Um, what I'm seeing, quite frankly, is that there are a lot of opportunities out there. It's about how you go about seeking them. And then, frankly, how you begin to read in between the lines of what the job description is saying and what the position is needing and understanding how you can come to the table and be able to make impact with that, that within that organization. There's also fundamental shifts in how people are interviewing, whereas before you would submit a resume and it goes you know, thousands of applications later, now you've got digital interviews. People are able to record and see um, you know, your face and be able to get to know you as a person. And that is, is helping move things along. The good thing is there's still some changes, you know, from a workforce perspective that, you know, companies, uh, you know, Fortune 100 and above, you know, need to continue to make. But Fortune 100 and below, by and large, are making. And then when we think about diversity, when we think about inclusion, when we think about social issues, um, these days as a corporation, you really can't be silent on where you stand on, you know, one issue or another, you know, depending on what it, what it looks like. So really being thoughtful around your values and really how that aligns with the organization is going to be very beneficial to, to our students graduating, but greater still. And the reason why the Leadership Institute is so valuable is to recognize that you can be the catalyst. The way that you move up, the way that you progress, the, this notion of a linear progression to uh, a corporate, you know, career or to whatever it may be is not exactly always real. When you talk to the people who've been able to, you know, move through different spaces, quote unquote, the grownups in the building, which I don't know how or when or if I am in that category, um, all of us, if we're honest, have had journeys that when we look back, when we were in your shoes, we didn't necessarily think that we would be in the spaces that we're in. But in certain cases, it's turned out better. In certain cases, it's turned out, you know, to be more challenging. But regardless, wherever we may have landed, it's amazing how life always has a way of cycling back around and working out for the good. Charles, this is so much wisdom and in and, and your words. When I was at your point in life, I, I didn't have quite as much wisdom as, as you seem to be carrying around. You said you focus on innovation. And I look at this idea of, you know, what's coming in the future yeah. and, and what, uh, what not only just our, our new graduates, but anybody that's entering the workforce. I think one of the things that a lot of people have angst about is artificial intelligence. So when we look at artificial intelligence, I like to think that leadership can be kind of that, that thing that, I don't know, maybe we call it an antidote to um, artificial intelligence and not stealing our job. What do you think about that? What, so I guess my question is twofold. What is the threat of artificial intelligence in your mind and how can leadership help with that? You know, I think the, the threat for artificial intelligence really at a practical level is how do you get your foot in the door? You know, that normally that frontline, you know, position, you know, for example, whether it's, you know, I come from the, the uh, tech industry. So, you know, the technology space, 
uh, by and large, you know, was worth a, a Fortune 25, you know, company for, at the beginning of my career. And, you know, quite frankly, those call center roles that, that a lot of folks, you know, may start in on and be able to work them, work their way up in and through uh, are going to be transitioning. And so really what it begs the question is, what is going to be that opportunity, particularly for our, our students, um, that they're going to be able to get to be able to move into an organization or to begin to start their career? I think that there's some potential, you know, threats to that. What I will say to our, to our students is the same thing that is a threat, conversely, is an opportunity because AI will never replace the, the power and the value of, I hate to say it this way, as, as immaterial as it is, the human soul. And I think that's where leadership comes into, pl into play. We can automate a process, but the, the process has to, to serve a desired end, which ultimately is to ultimately serve people. And people are going to have diverse needs. Uh, and a myriad of different things that, that we're going to have to still ideate and create better process around and for. And that's where leadership is going to be critical to be able to identify the gaps in the technology, because just because something moves fast doesn't mean that it's moving expediently or in the right direction. The distinction between speed and velocity is speed is moving at a particular pace. Velocity is moving at a particular pace with a concentrated direction. And what leadership necessitates is people who can create vision. And that's what I want to encourage our young folks and our, and our students is you have to be in this next iteration of human society, people of vision, whether it's your own or being able to ideate and serve you know, in, a, in a broader context, whether it's in a corporate space, nonprofit space, government space, you know, whatever it may look like or materialize as, what's going to be distinguishing among most folks is the ability to take the data, translate it into strategy, to take the information and translate it into customer focus and customer needs, and to be able to be the one who's most effective, most efficient as we're being expedient. So well said. We want to dig in a lot uh, today when we're uh, chatting through some of your background on the time that you spent as a recruiter and talent manager. Yeah. For sure, because, you know, we have students graduating right now, but let's put some context for our listeners. I think you shared with us that you just had a big promotion. Talk to us about what you're doing, what your role is um, with the city and county of Denver and kind of what that entails, just to put things into perspective. At the time, you know, that we were, you know, scheduled to be able to, to meet and, and have this wonderful conversation uh, was the senior advisor uh, to the mayor of Denver. So get to work as a mayoral appointee to Mayor Michael B. Hancock, um, and, you know, and very thankful for the opportunity to be in a city that is literally uh, based upon the data that we have, uh, the strongest, if not one of the strongest economies in America, that that post-COVID and things of that nature, we are positioned to be able to recover best. And so that I hope that's encouraging for our graduates, which is you're in a market locally that that is going to be able to recover and be able to embrace you. Let's let's talk and let's connect in terms of tactic and how that's going to look. Um, but very you know honored to be in that space. You know was was promoted to senior advisor you know last year when I uh, took over actually uh, to support in an ad hoc basis as a shelter director for the National Western Complex and the Coliseum. So working in both juggling citywide projects uh, like Prompt Pay, which is about three and a half billion dollars worth of capex, you know for the city and county, but also to support our unhoused neighbors um, and to to dovetail between business as well as people has been amazing. But subsequent to that, I got recently promoted to the deputy director for uh, council relations, which is our city council. So working with our city uh, council and elected officials, essentially as a bridge between the executive branch and the legislative branch, but also for special projects uh, to support with efforts, you know, with prompt pay to, that support our business community. And then also um, our national Western complex redevelopment, um, you know, that's taking place as well as some of the other great things that are taking place here in the city and county. So it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, a lot of work, but you know, it's, it's a lot of fun as well. I just got tired listening to all that. You are, <laughs> you are a busy man, Charles. I get, the, I get the impression. 
you seem to place a high value on community service. Why is that? You know, why is that something that's important to you? You know, I, I think a, a few things. There's, in my view, the perspective that we only get one life, uh, on, at least on this side, you know, d- depending on worldview, right? And I really believe that you have to live your life as if you are an intentional point of contact in the life of another person. Um, you know, so when I'm driving, you know, and I see, you know, one of our unhoused neighbors, I, I assume that, you know, it's kind of that analogy of, you know, the person who, you know, is, is about to drown and they pray for, you know, uh, rescue, and then a boat comes, a jet ski comes. The, the analogy is, is, is that essentially, you know, help comes. And, and so um, my goal is to be, you know, that resource or to see myself as that potential resource in the life of somebody else. Um, and it's been incredible how it's, it's worked out in my life. Um, the best example that I can give in terms of community service is, number one, the impact that you have in other people's lives. But it's amazing how it comes back in your own life. Um, you know, before I was working for um, the, the tech company that I was working for, which incidentally was Comcast, I was uh, a gentleman who was volunteering at my church. And it was a Mother's Day luncheon. And uh, we were serving food for the Mother's Day luncheon. And it looked real strange. I'm not gonna lie, it was, it was, it was a you know, faith-based context, but it looked like a, a holy Chippendale. I'm not gonna lie, I had like a you know, bow tie. It looked real strange. <laughs> Um, but, but there was a, one of the ladies at, at, at the tables who I could tell was, you know, feeling nauseous and feeling kind of sick. And I grew up, you know, kind of an old school African-American context where it's one of two things you get ginger ale or you get Sprite or peppermint, you know, and that's, that's typically, you know, hopefully that works. And uh, I went and got her a Sprite and, um, fast forward a few months later, um, she came up to me and she told me she was an older lady, you know, mind you, but she, she told me that she was actually expecting and that her and her husband were expecting. It, I was so excited for her, so happy for her. But I came to church one day and I was sitting in, in, in the front row and, and she taps this guy and the guy looks really familiar. I'm like, who's this guy? Because I had seen him before. Little did I know that his name was Steve White and he was the division president for Comcast. And she tapped him and said, that's the young man that helped me. Wow. And he asked me, you know, he said, well, what's your name and what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I actually just started a position with Comcast and that started a relationship of, of him being my mentor. And so when you sow seeds of kindness, you never know what you're going to reap. And, and so it's amazing to understand that, that life and, 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 and promotions and, and other things in life move at the speed of relationship. And the way that you have relationship is through the context of service. What you freely give um, is something that is, is tremendous in terms of what comes back to you. And again, not check your motivation because you don't want to be like, well, I'm looking for this next executive. No, but, but it's amazing how it does, in fact, come back um, in, in ways that truly yield you know, dividends that you couldn't have imagined. Let's stay there for a second, Charles, and uh, talk about, you know, what do you say to students? Because I have actually heard this. I am too busy looking for a job right now to deal with community service and volunteering. That is not productive at the moment. And, you know, uh, we had an offline conversation uh, with you about education credentials versus experience. Right. When you put all this together, what would you say to college students that are frantically getting ready to graduate and look for how they're going to make money uh, when it comes to community service? You know, first of all, I I would just say to them, hey, I understand, you know, so I I want to make sure that that they understand that by no means am I looking, you know, at that, you know, through uh, a moral lens or or character, you know, lens. I I understand because you have practical needs. You know, some folks, you know, really do need to to get a job because maybe you are the the main, you know, source of support, you know, for your family because maybe they lost their jobs, you know, in the midst of COVID. There's so many different scenarios and situations that students come from. I myself, when I was in university, had to work four jobs, um, you know, while going to school full time to essentially try to help mitigate 
unsuccessfully, unfortunately, you know, my, my parents losing our home, you know, and, and, the, and the market crash. So I, I get some of this, the, the context or frankly, folks who just are eager to get in their career. Um, what I would encourage is you'd be amazed with the people that you meet um, in the course of community service. And so while it may seem like counterproductive, I promise you it's actually probably the best thing you could do right now while blocking out time to apply, while doing all of the, all these different things, because having somebody who knows your name, somebody who can flag your application, again, life is moved at the speed of relationships. You never know who, who could be either a senior leader or somebody who's connected to a senior leader who can vouch for your character and flag your application. The challenge you're going to have if you just concentrate exclusively on, on applications is everybody who's trying to return to the workforce, which is a whole nother conversation in terms of people who are, are really not trying to, which is, in my opinion, there's a window to maximize the time that you have right now, because there's still a decent amount of folks who are not actively pursuing getting in the workforce. When that spigot turns back on, because the state, you know, I mean, it'd be unwise to assume that we're going to continue to operate at the certain thresholds that we've been operating at in terms of restrictions. Moving into 40% of the city and county of, of Denver either receiving their first vaccine or their second vaccine. You know, we're, we're moving to a place where we're about above 40, 50% with that. Uh, when we start looking at, you know, practically Q3, Q4, I would maximize as much as possible Q2 for those applications, because that's when I can assume we're going to see spikes and people trying to return to, to the workforce. I've noticed you've mentioned this word relationships, you know, more than once, and you're really emphasizing this. And I love this because I feel like leadership is about what? It's about relationships. And I think, I don't think this is, do you believe this is, this isn't just a COVID thing, right? Relationships I mean, it's important right now, but, uh, you know, what's the importance of, uh, you know, relationships as not only just for our, our new graduates, but I think this is good advice for us all to cultivate those relationships and how important are they to us in, in I don't know if we're going to call, call it success in life, but tell us more about what, what you think about the idea of relationships. You know, I, I genuinely think that, you know, relationships are the bedrock of who we are as people. I, I think that we are naturally inclined, um, you know, to be in relationship with one another, which is where social media, you know, takes takes off, but also at the same time, social media is a detriment because on one hand, it's easy relationship, quote unquote, it's easy connection, but at the same time, it's superficial at best. And I think that our, our young, you know, our, our graduates, the people listening or all the way up, you know, through folks, you know, who are in, in, in multiple generations and multiple spaces, um, you know, the reality is we, we're, we're relational by definition. And, and I think that um, when we think about relationships uh, from a professional standpoint, the, the reality is people hire on the basis of a few things, but primarily it's competency. And do I like you? <laughs> do you have the ability to do the job? And are you going to be somebody that I want to work with? And, and, and oftentimes we focus so much on the competency issues, credentials, credentials. I've done this. I've done that. You know, I'm, 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 which is great, but, but how are you, how are you showing up? Because at the end of the day, what's interesting, there's a study um, as we're talking about people returning to work versus, you know, working from home. There's a study that suggests that, People are more productive working at home because they get stuff done. But the problem is they're less innovative. And so the challenge for a lot of you know, workforce people is, well, do we want you to get the job done of yesterday that we need you to get done? Or do we need a balance of people being able to be productive, but also being able to be innovative? Because similar to the, 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 the insights that we get from, from nature, you know, this, no, this notion of you know, symbiotic you know, uh, relationships, 
The same applies with people, but the problem is we don't understand how the cross-pollinization of intellect, thoughts, creativity, ideas, frictions works between us because we often are so uh, myopic in our focus that we think that as long as I'm doing my part and you're doing yours, that this, you know, chain assembly line, you know, kind of, you know, uh, approach is going to work. And the challenge is, in fairness to our, our, our current generation, that's kind of how we were educated, which is start this, you start that, you start this, you start that, and then you have a finished product. But in AI, the, the problem that we're having and a lot of challenges I think some of our students are going to foresee is how quickly the market can, can change just like this, how quickly adaptation is, is necessary as a skill set and as a predisposition to life. And if you're so focused on one particular thing, you're going to miss out on many opportunities to innovate and for you to grow yourself through the context of relationship. Oh, so many places to go from this conversation. Um, and I want to actually tap into interviewing right? A lot of people are interviewing right now, but first I want to just one final question on relationships and let's just throw the word networking out there. Uh, this is a happy place for me when it comes to teaching and coaching. I love teaching or coaching on networking because it actually is something that for 30 some odd years, I absolutely hated and avoided at all costs. <laughs> and believe it or not, it was moving to Colorado four years ago when I said, I'm going to really just try and experiment. Yeah, which was yeah. literally a hundred meetings with a hundred people. And lo and behold, I never had to apply for a job here there in the state go. of Colorado. It, I am like a testament to networking, but I'm a person that hates that word. So tell us, because we get this from our students so much. I hate networking. It feels inauthentic. What it is networking? How do we do it? What's your take? First of all, it's a, if you have that kind of heart and that kind of disposition where it feels inauthentic, celebrate that because you've already checked the first, the first box, in my opinion, of authentic net worthing, not networking, net worthing, where you're able to find people who you find worth and value in. And because of the worth and the value that you find in them, you want to share the same worth and value that you have. And that's the most beautiful part is you don't have to meet everybody at the party. In my experience, you know, and this is just, you know, kind of the flow and the, 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 the rhythm of my life, I will show up to a networking event and I will meet the one or the two people at that event that I was supposed to, which is kind of this immaterial approach. But, and again, you know, approaching it from a different context in terms of just believing that, you know, my, my steps were ordered, but to that end, you know, I just, I just believe that you're going to meet who you want to meet. But the challenge is if you don't put yourself in that space to meet them, then you're not going to be able to build those relationships. I have been fascinated in two fronts with, with networking and net worthing, which is the job and the career that I thought I want after I met the person who was doing it, I completely did not want it. Because you begin to get, you know, and not to say that that'll happen for everybody, but you get an insight. Again, this notion of theory versus applied knowledge or practice. In theory, you thought you wanted that thing, but when you, when you kind of sat in it for a second or you met them and then you realize that it's going to cost you this or it's going to cost you that, or there may be this or that, or frankly, here's what the day-to-day -day looks like. That's the beauty of being able to dis discover your authentic self. Because in my experience, you typically, you know, run into a process in a phase of life where everything that's not you is what you experience. And towards the latter part of your career and late 20s, maybe early 30s, you begin to find the authentic. So this is a great space in your youth and in, in, in the young your period of your career to discover who you're not as you're discovering who you are. Uh, and giving yourself that latitude and that freedom. So I would encourage people, just put yourself in the environment. 
and commit to meeting one to five people and ask more questions about who they are rather than for them to ask who you are. Because people, my Angelou once said, people will forget what you did, people will forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that's an incredible thing to be able to, to, to lean on as you're asking questions and being curious and identifying people on LinkedIn. Net- networking doesn't have to be just in person. It's identify somebody who has a career or is working in an industry or a space that you're in and just say, hey, I, I'm a young college student and I see your profile. I don't know you at all, but I, I'd like, and naturally, please use discretion, you know, stranger danger, right? That's still a thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but reach out and you'd be amazed how much people want to help you. Steve Jobs, when he was 12 years old, reached out to Dell. This is back in phone books. This generation doesn't understand phone books. No. Do y'all remember? I remember. I, I'm really oh, sad yeah. that I yeah. remember phone books. I, but I, yes. I, I, I am too. Hence the <laughs> hair loss. But, but to that, <laughs> you know, he, he literally at 12 years old called the CEO of, of Dell and asked for an internship. And again, like you, you just never know how youth and, 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 and uh, sincerity can work to your advantage for somebody who just wants to help you because they see themselves in you. And it may be as simple as carrying a, a Sprite in your hand, ready a to sprite. give it to someone, right? <laughs> you never know. You never know you never how it's going to work you never out. Know. Let, me, let me emphasize, uh, maybe it's a subtle, maybe it's not so subtle message in there that I think a lot of people get networking wrong in the sense, especially our younger folks, not to pick on them, but, but I get it wrong in the sense that they go to people saying, what can they do for them? But, but I hear this idea, this is a two-way street. I think you, you had yeah. some, some wording around that. Is, that. is that the way you look at it? Absolutely. I, I just quickly, if you show up to the table you know, with a mentality that says, I'm here to, to take something from you, you're withdrawing from a relationship that you have no equity in. I don't go to you know, a bank that I have no established relationship with and ask to withdraw money when we have no account. That's, that's an odd thing to do. It's arguably rude and, and, and frankly reveals your motive. And while people may be courteous you know, in terms of you know, ingratiating you know, or maybe even accepting the meeting, what happens after that oftentimes more than not is, is they may or may not be as open um, to a relationship with you because it feels transactional. And, and again, though we live in a world filled with transactions, you know, and, and frankly, arguably may have a culture in certain instances of I get what you want, I get what I want, you get what you want. That's not how this works at a certain point, because at the end of the day, people are still people and people want to feel valued as they add value. I have to just put a plug in for the state of Colorado, um, because I'm not from here, that this is, and I, before here, I lived in Silicon Valley for many years. This Ooh, is wow. yeah. one of the only places I have ever lived, but certainly at the top of the list where what you're saying ha- holds so much value. Uh, there are a lot of transactional relationships, as you can imagine, in Silicon Valley. Yep. That's just yep. the nature of the business. Same with New York City, not in the state of Colorado. Colorado, yeah. it, when I said 100 coffees, no one ever said no to me. Yep. Um, and so this mentality, know that whether you're from Colorado or you are not, this is a very, very unique state where it is all about give and take in these interactions. So, yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had other people come here. You know, I've been here since 1992, so I've been here a long time, but I've had other people come here and say, God, you guys are all so friendly here in Colorado. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> maybe maybe I've gotten used to it and I take it for granted. So it, it's always fun to hear that. Uh, to, it's, it's nice to call your, to think of your community as being friendly. Let's, uh, Charles, let's go back to, I think there's something that you're passionate about. This idea of leadership theory, 
versus leadership in practice. And so yeah. what, you know, as, as we learn leadership, uh, many of our students and, and others learn leadership theory in school, and then they go out into the, you know, maybe I should put it in quote, you know, air quotes of the real world. They go out there and say, well, wait a minute, what I learned in, in the book is not working in the real world. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Is there a disconnect there? And, and what's more important? No, I, I think that, you know, a, a lot of folks, um, you know, experience this, which is it's, you know, well, I was taught this, you do this. And again, kind of that assembly line kind of approach to, to, to um, you know, leadership. And don't get me wrong. It's important to have these frameworks. So, so the knowledge that you're learning at CU or the knowledge that you're ascertaining in, in classes or in podcasts or whatever mediums you may be procuring some of this knowledge from, it's extremely valuable. But the challenge that you're going to have is at the end of the day, in this life and in your life, the question is going to be asked, what did you do? Even, even practically and tactically, when you look at interviews, there's a, there's a thing called a STAR method, which is an acronym for situation, task, action, and result. So when people are interviewing you and you're sharing what you, you know, what board you on, et cetera, that's great and share that. But the, what they're really looking for is a situation that emerged um, and there was a challenge that you had to face and whether it's a group project or, you know, in a business context and the tasks that you identified from that. And the distinction between a situation and a task is a lot of people can identify a problem. Leaders are the ones who are able to identify possible solutions for that, hence a task. And then the action that you took to be able to, to complete it and the result. The delta between people who are successful, in my opinion, and true leaders versus those who are observers and maybe individual contributors is the distinction between those who were willing to identify the situation and what the problem was and be able to find a task within that. But the delta between a leader and, and a complainer is the person who took action. And that's what employers and people are looking for is people who are going to be action oriented. And let me tell you, in your youth, that is the time for you to fail. Uh, that is a time for you to try things. That is a time for you to learn what you're good at, what you're not good at. Some people are visionaries. Some people are executors. Some people lead with you know, you know, data and some people lead from the heart. There's so many different ways, but the only way that you're going to discover who you are is by, by, by putting yourself in positions and raising your hand, scared more times than not, raising your hand, understanding the fact that you just being willing to step up to the plate is going to distinguish you from most of your peers. Final thing I'll say about this, one of the things that was interesting working at Comcast, I was being mentored by uh, Steve White. I was being mentored by some outstanding uh, you know, leaders, um, Rich Jennings, who just took over as the, as the division president. What was interesting, in a, in a room of 1,000 people, um, that, that we were hosting just kind of our, our annual event, a corporate you know, event with all employees. They said, I want to make myself available. The CFO for the, for the West Division office, which was like a $15 billion you know, enterprise, to be clear, said, hey, if anybody wants to meet with me, let me know. I was the only person out of 1,000 people, ages from millennial on up, who actually reached out and said, I want to meet and want to connect. Again, the delta between task and action. Is, is, is what leadership is. And I, and I don't tell myself as a leader, you, the, the real world that I want you to, to key in on, young folks, is willing. Are you willing to step up to the plate? Because by and large, the difference in life is the willingness. Not that you're even capable, just that you're willing. Do you remember your first interview out of uh, undergraduate oh, school? Oh, dear God, yes. 
All right. With all your knowledge now, having been a recruiter and now working yes. for having worked for Comcast and now um, the city, what would you go back and guide if you were the little bird on your shoulder during that interview? How would you guide yourself to handle yourself, obviously, but also, which I think is on the minds of all students, how do I sell my unique value when yep. all I have is an education? I would answer your question by, by reframing it, which is to not assume that all you have is your education. What I didn't know how to do was to translate school projects, internships, leadership. How do you translate to an employer that, yeah, at the age of 19, I was student body president helping to manage a $36 million budget. I didn't equate that as valuable because I didn't have work experience. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we, we tell our students to highlight work experience when really what they're looking for is a, and Google this incidentally, it's behavioral-based interviewing. That's primarily the tactic that most corporations, particularly Fortune 50 and below, use is to understand predictively in a situation, what is going to be your behavior behavioral response to something. Are you a shy away kind of person? Are you a lean in kind of person? Are you analytical? Are you, are you going to fit the profile of the end of the kind of, you know, uh, role that we're looking for? And what I would tell my younger self is translate better what you do as you're translating who you are. And I think with this generation who is so keenly focused on passion and purpose, which I'm all for, you know, what the corporation stands for, which I'm all for, you, you are there as, you know, you know, in a, in a, in a capacity to interview for a position. And while you're interviewing for the position, yes, please learn about company culture. Please learn about diversity. Please learn about social issues and things of that nature that you may be passionate about, but you're not there to fulfill a moral purpose. And that's hard to, that's hard to swallow. It's a little bit, you know, some grown up talk, not trying to be rude. Companies are going to, I'm amazed by how much companies do allow for you to show up as your full self these days, but you have to remember this is yet and still a job. This is yet and still a position. And while you can still express and emote those kind of things, you also want to make sure that you, that they know that you're going to be reliable to show up and do the job while you're working on a personal uh, mission that you may have. Mm, good advice. Let's go back to, again, you're very involved with the city and county of Denver yeah. and with the mayor. Is there... If I were to ask you, what can we do better in the city and county? What are what are we failing at, maybe? And and what where where are some areas of improvement that you see, at least from from your seat? What can yeah. we do better in in this city? You know, I I would say that the the city and county of Denver is, uh, frankly, is is not um, celebrated on one hand the way that it should. Um, because when we, when we talk about, you know, uh, governmental structure, so again, we, we have to break it down from there's the federal level, there's a state level, and then there's a city slash municipality level. And the city and county of Denver is looked to around the country for so many different things, because Colorado, even politically, is a, a state where innovative policies are tested on a local level to see if they're scalable at a national level. Uh, not that I... Uh, and, and, Course marijuana, which I'm, I'm glad today's not 420, it's because that'd be all but too terrible in terms of timing. But 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 again, when we think about that legislation, right, and and the and the impact that it had for our state and how it started translating to other states, the Crown Act, 
um, which impacts, you know, minority communities and, and, and folks, you know, in that space is so much in terms of the rights that people have, you know, for uh, their, 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 their beauty and their hair in terms of how that shows up in different spaces. This is a state that we, that is really an awesome place because we get, we get to be the people who innovate things that can literally change the world. And so I'm proud of the city and county of Denver and that, um, you know, there's the equity office um, that has been stood up that the, the, that the mayor through executive order um, has stood up. We stood up the, the host department, which which is really dedicated to ins- ensuring that all of our folks, um, you know, are really able to uh, be taken care of, um, you know, and, and from those who are unhoused. We actually spend about a hundred, over a hundred million dollars a year on our unhoused neighbors to make sure that they have access, you know, to housing. Where I think we have opportunity in the city and county of Denver is is a few things, which you know goes go th- goes without saying, um, you know, housing and affordability. You know, how how do we manage? Uh, making sure that people who are in the state and who are who are from here, homegrown, et cetera, are able to to live and have you know viability in this space, and it's something that we're turning a very key you know attention to, which is something that I work with our our legislators. You know, shout out to our city council folks and shout out to our mayor, um, who collectively are working on a lot of things. There's a lot of legality, um, you know, that that goes into how that is managed and some of the challenges that we have. I don't want to get into the you know the the the, the jargon insofar as you know different bills and precedents that that make that challenging, but housing. You know, what is it going to look like, you know, for future generations? Are we importing, you know, more people who can afford to live here because of California and other states because we're a lifestyle state than those who will be able to afford and have posterity who are from here? It's a critical issue that, that we have to lean in on. Um, but the other, you know, opportunity, you know, that we have um, is, is really related to what, is, what does next look like for the city and county of Denver and state, the state of Colorado in general? Um, with an international airport, um, you know, was just on a call, you know, uh, earlier, and there's so many international flights that are going to be coming to Denver. We're connecting to the world, but what does that mean? What does that mean for our local economy? What does that mean for students? What does that mean in terms of access in this global market that is becoming ever, ever increasingly so connected? And so I think that there's opportunity for us to do that, but there's also opportunity in terms of us telling our story. I think the challenge with social media is so many people are willing to hijack, you know, <laughs> a narrative and try to paint a picture that is devoid of context, that it, it actually endangers, in my opinion, uh, we the people, because we're more enticed by propaganda than we are truth. And the challenge is truth is still need, needed at the table to bring real solutions. Again, when we talk about leadership, data, objective information with data devoid of agenda is one of the most critical things to a republic. And without that, Things get a little bit challenging, and progress is is you know is stagnated at best. And so my hope is um, that as we're progressive, as we're moving to different levels, um, you know, not in terms of political party, but just literally moving things forward, progressing, um, you know, different things forward from a city perspective, that we don't lose sight of the fact that the truth is somewhere in the middle, and that we have to work together to be able to move things forward. Mm. I love that you said truth, because this is the point of the podcast, Charles, where we actually get really serious and. Uh, ask you about some of your quirky hobbies. Um, Good. This is true. I feel, I feel the light beaming down on me. Uh, Uh, Someone told us that you have a hobby of listening to old presidential debates and Ron and I cannot even help. Why would people people say this? Uh, There's more. We got more. We got more where that's coming from. Yeah. See, I was trying to be fresh Prince. Now you're making me look real Carlton like. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And what's sad is this generation may not understand the reference, which makes me feel worse. (laughs) Hey, I got it. I was laughing. What's up with that hobby? What? Tell us about it. It's, it's a real problem. So I, I, it's a real issue. (laughs) 
I, I will, I'll be at the gym, like, you know, and, and here's the thing that's interesting. If you've ever worked out, it's really fascinating because you have a couple, you know, archetypes of people like you have the total bro guy, you know, just like, just, you know, down some, you know, creatine, all powder, you know, just use a spit to, to take it down. Cause you know, that's, that's a sign of strength <laughs> and vitality. Um, and then you have those who show up, you know, uh, fully, you know, decked out. It's like, you're here to work out. And that looks strange. I'm the guy who looks like I'm listening to, you know, Disturbed or, you know, some nice, you know, hip hop back in the Notorious, et cetera. But I'm actually listening to Winston Churchill. One of my favorite speeches is Winston Churchill, We Will Never Surrender. Dr. King um, uh, listened to the primaries for, um, which is really fascinating, between, you know, Nixon and some other folks. Um, you know, yeah, I, I have a real passion for, for, for history and moments that define history and the words that define history. Um, and uh, so it's, 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 it's something that I'm, I'm always interested in, you know, this, this notion I actually just bought off of eBay, which is a classic nerd thing. I bought actually the document from 1941, December 8th, 1941, which was the actual document of when they voted to go to, to, to go into world war II, because oh, wow. again, that moment that shifts all other moments. And I think that that personal fascination with leadership and language and how you can turn a crowd, it's kind of like that Mark Anthony, Julius Caesar kind of moment Absolutely. And, and how, and, and, and the integrity of the leader is what you do with the voice and, and the privilege that you've been entrusted with by the people. That's the thing I'm always fascinated by. Wow. So what, what is the power of words, the power of language, uh, you know, it's obvious that you can see that connection. There, there's some real power there. You know, one of the things I, I like to counsel my young leadership students is learn how to speak well. Yeah. Oh, so what please. would you, what would you say to that? You know, the power of words, the power of language and, and the ability to speak well, how important is that to leadership? But the, there's, there's, there's the leadership aspect. And then practically in your own career development, the people who have been able to progress the fastest are the people who see the opportunity and the obstacle and can communicate that. Um, and, and, and again, this notion between situation and task, the, the person who can identify the problem, you know, and then call out a problem versus the person who can articulate the opportunity and the challenge. Um, really, that is a critical, critical, critical thing. Um, quickly, particularly earlier on in your career, Branding. This word is going to be very important for you to understand. Branding is something that um, shows up in how people think about you and how you show up in different spaces. So there's two people in, in a meeting and one person, you know, says, hey, profits, you know, are down. Um, we're, we're losing market share, you know, with this particular product, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's two people in the room. One person says, see, I told them if they would have just listened to me, you know, last year, we would have just, you know, uh, you know, not done this, not done that. We'd be able to see some, you know, some uptick in sales, et cetera, et cetera. Another person in the room says, you know, we all agree that there's some challenges that we're having with this particular product. But the great thing that we're seeing is there's actually some more success with this particular product. And so maybe what we're seeing is a shift in the market. And we may be able to capitalize on this while, you know, sunsetting this particular product and moving into another space. Com same problem, two different responses. And how you communicate reveals if you are a leader or if you're a critic. You know, my core belief is that there's three kinds of people. There are leaders, followers, and critics. And all of us play one of those roles at one point in our life or multiple times in the course of a day. But the overall movement of your life will be determined by how you function. A leader is somebody who can recognize opportunity and obstacle. And you being able to recognize, okay, we still have the same mission to move this thing forward. So if we're in agreement there, then how do we do that? And to, to verbalize that and to give language. And for lack of a better word, and this is you know, a little immaterial thing in a business practice, Hope. One of the greatest values that you could ever have as a person and as a leader is the ability to have and to see and to communicate hope. 
And it's amazing what you can see and what you can be, what can be done just because you have a disposition to choose that believe, to believe that it's possible and then to look through that lens and then you'll see the possibility in the data, in the problems, in the challenges because you believe that it's possible. Mm, that's a whole other podcast. So Charles, wrapping things up here, um, we ask all of our guests and I, I know you've got a great answer to this. Uh, where are we headed on the frontier of leadership? What do we need either at the state or the federal level, at the university level, or at the individual level? Um, what do you see as being cutting edge or something we need to work on? Oh, man, that, that is a great question. I would reduce it down uh, to, to six things, uh, which sounds, sounds like only six. six things, just only six. <laughs> and, I, and, I'll, and I'll run through them real quick, which is number one, AI and tech to recognize that it's here and it's here to stay, but it's not necessarily something that's here to replace. So in this new space, where do, where do humans and leadership play a role in technology? And I think that there's so many opportunities for us to do that, particularly even in government. One of the projects that I'm able to work on in the city and county of Denver, the reason why it's so successful is because of technology. So rather than being intimidated by it, how do we embrace it and allow it to tell the story that again, going back to what I originally said, truth, where I see AI and technology is getting us back to a place of truth, truth and efficiency. And But from that place, greater innovation, greater things can take place. So believe that you can be the next, you know, whoever, you know, whether it's Beso, Bezos or whoever else, the world is primed for all of that. But recognize how AI and tech is going to play a, ra- a role in that. Pace of change is the second one, which is to be the be a person who's willing to be nimble and willing to pivot. Sometimes routine gets in the way of our ability to recognize even our own brilliance and our own greatness. One of the best things that ever happened to me is the, in my life is the things that disrupted my life that I did not plan. Hence this job. I never saw myself working in government ever, to be clear. <laughs> this was not a life plan. I was at CU wanting to be a vice president, you know, for, for a major, you know, fortune company and, and to move forward, you know, from there, which may happen, may or not. We'll see. Again, openness to life. Uh, purpose and meaning to, to make sure that you're, you're, there's a distinction between you following your passion versus finding purpose. With all due respect, passion, in my experience, is a beautiful thing, but it can be fleeting. I was passionate about playing the guitar like Lenny Kravitz. And then I tried to pick one up and it didn't work. So again, there's, there's a distinction between you pursuing your passion and identifying the purpose that you have, because that is what's going to wake you up in the morning. That's what's going to fulfill you. And frankly, that's going to be the fuel that's going to carry you forward. Steve Jobs said in one of his interviews, he said, you really have to have passion because, and that's the top thing, because any rational person will quit at a certain point. And so when you find passion and you find purpose, it's going to be the fuel that moves you forward. Globalization is here to stay. So I would strongly encourage, be open in your youth to moving abroad to, to find you know, other opportunities. You don't necessarily have to stay in the United States and not saying that you can't find work here, but you can also find international jobs that are anchored here. You know, so be open to what's happening in the globalization space. Uh, new talent landscape, thing that I would say in that space is be, be open to the fact that there's going to be a completely different type of setup. So identify what, what your values are, but recognize as a young person, you're going to have to, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some stripes that you're going to have to earn. You know, may, there's going to be nuances to, what, to, to, to how this is going to translate for you. Um, the sixth thing is morality, ethics, and transparency. Where we're heading to is what you believe, what you stand for, and your openness about it, both as a company and as an individual are going to matter. And so it's going to be important for you to be open to those conversations. Um, but, but needless to say, it's, it's past a certain point, you know, what you believe matters. And that's what I really think is going to be critical for leaders is you're effectively able to lead something that you believe in. 
If not, if you don't believe in it, you're just going to do the job. And there's a distinction between doing the job and fulfilling a purpose and a role. Because the reason why I get to do so many projects in the city and county of Denver, but you know, I'm very thankful and, and you know, thank God, you know, for that opportunity is because of the fact that I found my purpose. <laughs> I've been able, I can have a conversation with our safety director. I can have a conversation with our mayor. I can have a conversation with the executive directors in the city, reduce our budget by X amount. You know, I won't share, you know, if this podcast is not public yet, but, but, you know, make impact and efficiency across the city because I found purpose and, and I'm not just doing a job. It's something that I feel like I was born and made for. And when you get to that space, it takes time to get there, to be clear. So, so don't be discouraged by the bumps and the bruises along the way, because you're going to have them. I have, but when you get to that place of, Getting you shedding who you're not and walking in and developing into who you are, it's a pretty beautiful thing. Thanks for spending your valuable time with us this week. If you enjoyed today's topics, please leave us a review. This will help us reach new listeners who can benefit from these conversations. We'll see you next time.